0: All right, Liza, I need you to talk a little bit more so I can make sure I have your level.
1: All right. Well, this week uh, in the world of middle school, <laughs> <laughs> fighting every day to survive. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like that line in The Color Purple where um, Oprah's like, "All my life, I've had to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is absolutely living in middle school i like a Hebrew slave. <laughs> to survive.
0: Welcome to Book Fair, a feast for every season of reading.
2: We are a growing community of curious readers who share the excitement of books. We want to read
3: together and feast together through the seasons of the year and the seasons of our lives. And we hope you join us.
0: Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode, because today we have our first guest. Yay! Yay! We're so excited! Our first person coming on to chat books with us is not just the three of us. Guys, we are legitimate now. (laughs) We have an
1: actual guest
0: coming in. So let me introduce my very good friend. Liza Thurmond. Hi Liza. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Welcome to me. I'm so excited to be here. This is the greatest honor of my life. (laughs) Thank you so much. We are
0: just thrilled to have you on as our first guest because I know that you are both a book lover and a professional historian slash history
1: teacher. So let's start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Liza? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who is Liza? The question of my life. Okay. Um, well, I am a history teacher. I um, went to, I am trade and studied and became a history teacher. My degree is in secondary education, social studies. So I studied to be a high school history teacher. Um, that's a little bit of my background academically. Um, I spent four years teaching high school, and then I went on an extended maternity leave for seven (laughs) years. It was glorious, had two children, and now I am back um, in the current day and age, thought it was a great time to return to teaching. (laughs) And so I'm (laughs) currently teaching seventh grade civics um, with the same school my girls are at, a charter school down in the southern part of Hillsborough County. And so that is a little bit of my life. I have two daughters. One is eight. She's going to be nine in March. Her name is Lucy. And I have a little kindergartner just turned six. Her name is Stella. (laughs) And they are fabulous. I'm happily married to my high school sweetheart. My husband, Jordan, we will be celebrating 14 years of marriage this summer. And so that's a little bit about me. I love love history, love books. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. So, tell us a little
0: bit about your reading life. What does reading look like for you now that you are
1: back to teaching? Oh, well, it's been a journey, ladies. <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> I think that for many years, um, a lot of what I read about was what interested me, which was typically historical, narrative, nonfiction. Um, you know, obviously, I had to read a lot of very long history books in, high- in college. And I just continued to read books that interested me. And then eventually, I think I got a little burned out before I realized that I was burned out and my reading life just kind of pinch and hold into historical nonfiction. And there were long stretches of years where I just didn't really pick up anything outside of that wheelhouse. And then um, fast forward, I met Trisha and she told me about this book club she kind of reignited my love of books, and I have, for the past few years, been pushing myself outside of my typical genre, and I have read tons of crazy things you have. <laughs> that I have never um, picked up before, from sci-fi to poetry to thrillers to mysteries to fiction, um, modern fiction. I was like, that's a whole new world. Never been in there. <laughs> so I started listening to podcasts and listening to recommendations and kind of building up my TBR and tackling books. I've always wanted to. And so, um, for the past two years, I've set some reading goals, um, and I've been able to read more books than ever before. But now, you know, my life is shifting drastically, (laughs) fighting the fight, surviving in middle school. And so um, I've had to be really intentional about my reading times and spaces and giving myself grace for the flexibility of what new seasons bring. So January is always a great reading month for me. I always knock out a good couple of books.
3: Hmm. So when you went back to work then, what? what's your reading time of day? Do you just carve out a certain spot? I mean, I can't imagine if you're a teacher, you're getting up early in the morning to read, but maybe you are. Or is it yeah. just
1: as it comes to you each day? Um. So I don't really have my pockets of time are pretty limited. Yeah. And so, um, I don't have a really long commute, which is kind of sad. And your girls but also are in the car, I guess. The girls are in the car. We have about a five to six minute commute to well, work that's in the nice morning, which Good is amazing. Right. Um, but in years past, I really utilized that audio work books. commute for some wonderful audio, you yeah. know, books and I have such Still, of visceral memories of driving to work, listening to certain books in the car. Mm. Um, so now like there are times where I will tackle, I'll, you know, I'll put down work during lunch cause oftentimes I work during lunch. And so I'll carve out some time and read for my 30 minute lunch or a lot of times in the evening while I'm doing other things. Once my girls go down, I'll listen to an audio book um, scrubbing toilets, listening to audio <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so kind of in the evenings or at lunch, it's sure. really kind of, I always like to out.
3: hear the practical side of, well, where do yeah. you fit for different lives? Where do you fit your reading in? Cause yeah. it looks different for everybody it sure does.
2: And, it, and it
1: looks different day to day, but right. Absolutely. I would love to hear what you're reading now. <gasps> yes. So currently right now I'm reading, um, buried my heart at wounded knee mm-hmm. by D Brown. Um, it is a, an amazing, uh, book about the Indian history of the American West picking up, uh, right around before the civil war. So 1830s, um, and then pulls through to the Indian Wars, um, towards the end of the 19th century. So, I mean, it's a hallmark, um, book of, about native Americans. Um, it's written by a librarian slash journalist. Um, it's been an amazing read. It's, for somebody who uh, knows limited, like I, I used to teach this time period, but I tur- taught it in a more of a survey course when I taught U.S. history, um, the AP U.S. history course. I talked to high schoolers. I mean, it's very limited what you can actually get in about the Native American experience. And so I really wanted to tackle more of that knowledge for myself. And this book does a really great job of giving you um very quickly a schooled experience of the Native American experience. So there's a whole long list of Native American experience books that are absolutely phenomenal. And so I'm starting to chip away at that, that wish list on my TBR. But it's incredible. It's a very moving, it's a hard to read book at some, at times. Just the trauma and the pain um is hard to bear witness to. But it always leaves me better at the end, leaves me a better person at the end. So it's a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, you can absolutely tackle it.
2: This was how I entered reading history books.
1: Was buried my hair to me?
2: No, not that specific book, but okay. when I was in middle school, <clears throat> I went through a big phase because mm-hmm. we have a little bit of Cherokee blood. Just a little bit. Um, but I went through this whole phase where I read so much history about that and I had posters on my wall and I had some other things and I would walk around the woods behind our house imagining I was an Indian, a Cherokee princess oh. like my ancestor named oh. Rose was. So, <laughs> And I, I realized how much identity and memory are tied into history. Yes. And then I went through the Scottish phase Mm -hmm. because that's mostly what I have and read a few books about Scottish history. And we had a house fire a few years ago and I lost all those books. And I don't remember the Native American books that I read or anything like that. But it was really wonderful. And I've loved, loved history. Really great narrative
1: history ever since. Yeah, Um, I also deep dived when I was in the the middle school years. I remember I read... um, In fifth grade, I read The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. Oh, that's how And when, yes, and when all of, we had to do a book report. And so um, I think I was always bound to be a history teacher. Um, All my friends were reading Goosebump books and uh, other books and choosing that. And what did I choose? A hiding place. (laughs) Nice and light. (laughs) Nice and light. In fifth grade. And I dressed up like Corrie Ten Boom. Nice. (laughs) Um, So I had my mom, like. Put lice bites on my face with lip liner. (laughs) And so I went went for it. And I think that being exposed to stories like hers and the, you know, the time period of the Holocaust and World War Two, it did change me um as a young person to see the struggle, um, what really evil can do in the world and the profound impact of a redemptive story of um of love and forgiveness and i mean that's a that's i still carry it today um david mccullough book i'm going to be tackling this year is finishing um the story i had started it started it last year but is the story about the building of the brooklyn bridge i believe Mm -hmm. the story is called the great bridge and it is the story of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. I love New York City history. I've been able to study at Columbia on some um, teaching excursions in the past. And so learning about the history of the bridge and the significance and the story of the Randolphs who built it, it was it's amazing. So that is also what I'm tackling. That's the McCullough book I'm tackling this year. Yeah.
0: How exciting.
1: Yeah. Yay. All right, well,
0: it's the big question. Tell us about your favorite history authors. Who do you go to when you want to read really good history books?
1: Okay. So here we go. Are we ready, ladies? (laughs) We're ready. A list (laughs) of books. All right. So like I had said before, I am drawn to historical narrative, not fiction. Okay. Will you define that for us? What's the difference between that and just say a history book? Okay. So oh man, I feel like I'm being put on the spot here. So I don't, this is what it means to me. I don't know if this is like a textbook definition, but um, I think that it is a story that presents true well-researched historical facts. That is the the means and the median of which propels the narrative forward. So it is not a narrative forward book. Mm -hmm. It utilizes the historical facts and research of the context of the historical time and that It unlocks that and unleashes the narrative from the historical facts itself. And that is what moves it forward. So I tend to be drawn to authors who have a background in journalism. Um, These two authors, um, from my knowledge, um, they have a background in journalism. So I'm going to give you three. Two, I have extensively researched their um, writing styles and practices. One is Lauren Hillenbrand. Mm-hmm. Um, she might be familiar to most of you. She wrote Seabiscuit. She wrote a book called Unbroken. Yes. Um, the background of herself is she, um, has a chronic illness that she developed in college. And so it takes her almost a decade or more to write a book. Wow. So she, to my knowledge, is still working on another book. I am anxiously waiting, um, anything she writes like it is a drop everything clear the calendar the world is dead to you you <laughs> hold yourself up in a, in a closet that. and you read what she writes um she develops such a strong sense of connection with who she's writing about when she wrote sea biscuit one of her research practices she has 10 years to do it so i mean she can utilize lots of things but she tends to buy a newspaper from the time period, and she will read that newspaper from the beginning to the end, everything, every article that's in it, advertisements um, from the period. She reads it from cover to cover while she's researching. So when she was researching Seabiscuit, she came across a story about a man named Louis Zamparini, and he was an Olympic athlete. That became a POW during World War II. Yeah. And this story sparked, it was this serendipitous moment in her research. And she tucked this article away, finished Seabiscuit, and then came back to the story of Louie. And that is where her research began for the book Unbroken. It's a story of survival and redemption of this POW during World War II. I have read extensive narratives, firsthand accounts of POWs coming out of World War II, both from German POW camps and Japanese POW camps. Absolutely nothing compares to the story of this mm-hmm. this man, of Louis' story. It is it is hard to read, but it is it is a fast paced, propelling novel. There are I have hand sold this book to I don't know how many students um, particularly in the high school when I was teaching juniors and seniors. Um, but it is, it is a wild ride. Your heart is going up and down. You're just like, Oh my goodness. I don't think it can get any worse than it does. Mm. And you're going to say that 15 Mm -hmm. more times, but all of it is worth it at the end. Um, she, Laura, um, was very close to louis before he passed away he's passed away about five or six years ago now hmm. um and so she was able to speak to him as she was writing the book. oh wow That's
3: incredible. and so
1: it is an absolutely um well-crafted book it's it's astounding yeah mm-hmm. so it is a book everyone should read once in their life um everyone um okay my next one is david mccullough If there was a love affair that I've ever had, (laughs) I'm a happily married woman, but me and David McCullough, this man is a precious soul. (laughs) I think I've said in a book club, I would kiss this man on the mouth. I love him so much. He is, he is 88 years old. I don't know how many books are going to be left for him. Um, but his background's also in journalism. I came across my first David McCullough book when I was, when I took, an American history class in college. It was 1776. He wins the Pulitzer for this book came out in like 2005. And the whole book is written about the historical time period of what happened in the year 1776. So it, the context is the American revolution. It is jam packed with amazing things. He writes such compellingly. It, it just reads like a riveting action packed movie his, like I said, his background is in journalism and his writing practices are precious. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article in the Paris Review years ago because I was in love with this man. And I was like, I need to know, how are you writing these things? Um, in the Paris Review, it began to describe how he has a reading shack in the back of his house. Oh, sure. Of yeah. course he does. He does, he does, he does, <laughs> he does not use, um, com- a computer to type any of his books he has purchased all these years he has been typing and writing all these books on a 1940s typewriter this is like Wendell Berry I know in his writing shed that no one is allowed but his grandchildren (laughs) (laughs) so when he writes he types everything on the typewriter once he's completed a chapter he brings it to his wife uh, for a hundred million years And she reads it to him out loud. And that is his first real preview of his writing because he loves her narrative voice. Oh Oh my (laughs) word. And so he spends a lot of time like Laura researching. Um, He's studied at Yale. Uh, He understands the value of research. Yale is a huge, researched university, driven by research. So I think that's really his backbone is historical research. And he's got into writing. He talked, he was, his first book was about the Jamestown flood. He went to the library essentially and was like that all of these books about the Jamestown flood are trash. <laughs> None of them are good. He was like, um, so he wrote his own, he researched it and wrote an outstanding book. That was kind of his debut historical nonfiction it's a great book. Yes. And, So that's, that's David. His newest book was about pioneers. I have, that's on my list to tackle as well. I read the James Adam, the John Adams book, uh, that the HBO miniseries was done. That's absolutely astounding. But for someone who loves history and wants to know more about history, his books are a great entry point because, they read like a, an amazing, well-written novel, but at the same time, you are learning appropriate, well-researched historical facts to uphold and unlock the narrative story. And he does a wonderful job about that. Okay. My next writer that I have read all of her works, and that is Candice Millard. So Last year, I tackled all of her books. Wow. So I started with Destiny of the Republic, The Tale of Madness, Woo-hoo! and Murder of a President. <laughs> and that was my absolute best book I read all year. I was shouting the gospel of that book to the rooftops, anyone that would listen to it. I got to read River of Doubt. I re- reread that last year. And I also read The Hero of the Empire, which is this early story of Winston Churchill during the Boer Wars oh, when he was a war correspondent. Oh, I didn't oh. know she had a Winston Churchill yes. book too. That's her her latest one. And it was the story of him as a prisoner of war and escaping.
2: I didn't know he was a prisoner of war. It either. Ah.
1: Yes, and it, it's interesting because it shapes really the person of Winston Churchill, which Hawaii. is a really interesting historical figure. And you begin to understand those formative years of how he He's became, it, yes, how he became. And that's good. Well, I read destiny of the Republic as an history teacher. This is basically all you say about president Garfield. Well, he's the last of the log cabin presidents. He's the last (sighs) president we have that was born in a log cabin. He lives for about 200 days as president and then he dies. Someone crazy kills him and then you move on and you just, it's kind of like, this is the legacy of Garfield because he really wasn't able to accomplish so many of his goals. Candace Millard beautifully unlocks the historical time period the political landscape is just written with political intrigue and, um, corruption. And she did such a wonderful job unlocking that time period, which so many Americans don't really understand. So she schools you, um, in an accessible way. And then she makes you fall in love with president Garfield. <laughs> and by the end, you know, he dies and, you know, at the start of the book and at the end, You are crying like a small, emotionally ridden (sighs) child. (laughs) Exactly what. And you are just like, I love President Garfield, and everyone needs to know about him. Everyone needs to know and cry (laughs) and mourn his loss today.
2: (laughs) Well, everyone in our book fair community is going to know because this book is the winner of our poll. That our community voted on. Yes, for our first book club book. Yes. And as
3: this airs, hopefully they'll be reading it already and begin to have some agreements to what you're saying, maybe. I haven't even started mine yet.
2: We read a different Candace Millard book in our In Real Life book club last year. River of Mm Doubt. River of Doubt, Teddy Roosevelt going down the Amazon. And there is a catfish story. That will just stick with you forever. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) But what I liked about her writing was that she painted the context so broadly.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And like, oh, I didn't realize this thing over there in this other part of the world was happening at the same time as that. I love being able to make those connections and those broad strokes, yet it's also such an intimate story.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I love, I love that. So I'm really looking forward to Destiny of the Republic.
1: Yes. I think it's her best work, in my opinion, of all of what she's read. Destiny of the Republic is the absolute best.
0: So are there any other standout history books that you would like to share with our community? Like, as a history teacher, these are just amazing Oh my
1: goodness, there's a long list. We'd be here a long time.
0: <laughs> I'll pick pick a okay, couple.
1: So I have two more I will share. Last year, I wanted to tackle some books from um, the African American experience. And so I read Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it is written by himself. It is an incredible... It's a, his story and his experience being being an enslaved person and then being emancipated and walking out the post emancipated life of a Freeman. And it deeply represents his own experience, but also his desire to bridge the African American community out of a slavery Mm -hmm. experience into a thriving one It is a story everyone should read. This, his story needs to be read by all students. I also read Frederick, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass Mm -hmm. this last year. I just think it's so important for us to spend time listening to people of color stories from their own accounts. And so those were two profound works everyone should be reading.
2: Well, it's in my Goodreads now. Thank you. You're welcome. And I, uh, it has Candace's next book oh. in there. It's coming out in May. Oh, so what is this year? year. It's Great. called "River of the Gods." Sir Richard Burton, Sidi Mubarak, Bombay, John Hanning Speke, and the epic search for the source of the Nile. Okay, these long, well, long subtitles. Always <laughs> history books. Hey, Candace. Long. Yes. Those are, these are these are long subtitles. But and I'm sure I did not pronounce all those names correctly. But that sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm in.
0: <clears throat> I love the adventure, the history about ex- exploration and adventure. Uh, one of my very favorite historical narrative nonfiction—I mm-hmm. know how to call it—is called *Endurance*. Mm. Yes, and it's the one about Shackleton's voyage. Yes, to it's a great story. The North Pole, right? The North Pole, not the South Pole.
1: Oh, I can't remember
0: the North Pole. Okay, and it is fascinating, fascinating. Such a great book. Love it. Like everyone should have died because it was such a disaster. All the things that happened, like from the very beginning. I mean, they didn't get anywhere close to the North Pole. They went off course from the very beginning, storms and ice and all the things. And everyone should have died. But through his leadership and a lot of prayer and a lot of luck and And endurance, endurance, everyone (laughs) lives. And it is just, it is fascinating.
1: I love that. Need to put that on my TBR. Sounds great.
0: Okay. Well, we have one question that came up in our Facebook group, at least one. We're going to start with this one. Um, Karen was asking, you know, I've heard this quote before. I don't know if it's quote or just like a truism, but that history is written by the victors. Right. So, you know, an army comes in and conquers and put down or destroy the civilization that they conquered. And then they're the ones that write the history. Yes. So this being the case... And being aware that this is the case, how can we approach reading history to at least try to safeguard ourselves against only getting the perspective of the victors?
1: Right. That's such a great question. I'm so glad that she asked that. My answer to that, I have lots of feelings about that. And as someone who educates young minds, like that's a very important question. I think that, you know, choosing authors, that offer a well-researched book is important. So knowing your authors.
0: So, so as someone like me who is not a history teacher, right? How would how would I know that?
1: The interwebs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, if you look at the back of a lot of these narrative nonfiction books, you're going to see tons of resources. Almost the last, like. 50 to 70 pages of the book are all annotated resources. That's always a good sign when it's annotated with that great detail. Um, I would also listen to interviews. I've done that as well mm-hmm. to kind of preview a book, listen to interviews, go on YouTube, that almost all of these history uh, books have uh, their authors go and do interviews. I think that also reading, following your curiosity. Hmm. Really my main answer to your question. If you are curious about a subject, go read an array of books about it. Research like what are the top 10 books, talk to people, ask questions, research, and just follow that curiosity. And it's always important to read other perspectives outside of your own perspective. And that goes for maybe your own outside of your own political viewpoint, to listen to other people's perspectives, other stories, um, voices of minorities, people of color, women. These are all voices that were not are typically not elevated um, to a great degree in most textbooks. Follow that curiosity. I I
3: really like what you're saying there about follow the curiosity, because it does speak to that idea that I think is so important to me, but probably most readers that we can all be learners, Yes, that we can all, we don't have to be a history teacher to have an interest in certain subjects of history. And now how can we be sure that we're filling it out well? And so like a question in my mind would be, well, what did the other side say? And then you could then, I guess you're saying, then just follow that trail Mm-hmm. yeah I love that perspective I think for me that would be the takeaway there of consider and think and follow the curiosity yeah I love that I do too
1: yeah, yeah. it will leave you better than it found you that mm-hmm. is promised mm-hmm.
3: Sure. Liza thank you so much for your insight You're this welcome. was really helpful I wrote down a lot of titles some I have on my shelf, I have to go home and pull out and read. (laughs) Literally, I think I collect history books more than I read them. So (laughs) I'm going
2: to go stack them up on my nightstand and get after it. Thank you so much for being here, though. I want to close with a couple quotes. From my BFF, G.K. Chesterton. Yes. The first one is about tradition, but I think we can substitute past or history. And for that, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I love that. It's just re- I love it. So funny.
2: And the last one the disadvantage of men not knowing the past is that they do not know the present. History is a hill or high point of vantage from which alone men see the town in which they live or the age in which they are living. So, for you listeners, have you read much history? What brought you to it? Who are some of your favorite authors? What are some of your favorite books? What's your favorite time period? Can I ask you any more questions about history books? (laughs) And just one more reminder for our first book club episode, Destiny of the Republic. All right. Until
0: next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And we'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast.
2: Join our Facebook group or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And don't forget to tell a friend.